Well, good morning here at Souderton, and I also want to issue a good morning over there in Quakertown and online. We, uh, we believe it's such an honor that you all be willing to join us, and uh, we're just so thankful for that. What I love about Calvary is that uh, we are one church in, in two locations, and uh, we really do believe that, that location matters. And something that you know, you'll hear me say, if you hear me in Quakertown, or even I probably said it here, is uh, of all the places that you could have chosen to be this morning, we really are so thankful that you've chosen to be in this place here, because we believe it's a place where you really find life. So we're actually continuing our series, which we're calling Out for Delivery, and essentially that series is us tracking through a promise that God has made in the Old Testament, kind of following that promise along and and stopping along the way to, to take a look at some people who kind of show us how God was speaking that promise into reality. And so uh, Charles, a a couple weeks ago, began at the beginning with Adam. And then last week, he actually spent time talking about Ruth. This week, I am going to be talking about Naaman. I'm super stoked about. But I do think it requires us to to fill the story in a little bit. Because otherwise, some of the stuff I say, I just think, no, got to fill it in a little bit. So the first thing, um, and my wife would make fun of me for this because I'm going to tell a story and use someone's name that most likely none of you know. That's how I tell stories. So when we were in our church in Virginia, my wife and I lived in Virginia for seven years together. We, we found a, a place in Virginia. It was a great place to find life. And um, the pastor, David Dwight, did a series where he was talking about waiting. And he said something in that series that I still say all the time. And it's it's this idea. Just when you feel like you've waited long enough, that is when the real waiting begins. See what I mean? Right? I mean, you want me to keep going and it just kind of feels a little bit awkward because it's like... Are you, you going to keep talking? I will keep talking, right? It, this, it, to, to help clarify, if you ordered a package via Amazon Prime that's guaranteed two-day delivery, and it arrives in two days, you weren't waiting. If you put a hot pocket in the microwave, and it says it takes two minutes to heat up, and after two minutes you take a delicious bite of that hot pocket, and it is in fact hot, you weren't waiting. If you're sitting at the Domino's in Percocet and the screen says your food will be ready in 15 to 20 minutes and it came to you in 20 minutes, you weren't waiting. Now, you might have wanted the 15, but the truth is they told you 15 to 20. Okay, that's what I expect, 20. There we go. 15 is nice, 20 is expected. You weren't waiting. It's when we have to wait longer than we expect. That's when real waiting happens. And actually... I would also say it's when maybe something happened at the time that I expected, but it wasn't what I expected. We're still kind of waiting. So something happened, timing was fine, but it was really what happened that just doesn't make sense. So this morning I want to offer you some encouragement. For any of you that have been waiting for the Hot Pocket for two and a half minutes, for any of you who on Halloween had to wait in the Domino's in Percocet for at least 35 minutes. 
I want to offer you some encouragement. We find it in the book of Joshua. It's Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Be strong and be courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I know that extra half a minute feels so long. That extra 15 feels so long, but take courage. God is with you in the waiting. (laughs) That verse isn't really about hot pockets and pizza, though. Although maybe that encourages you, and that's good. What I want to do is I want to talk about what is leading up to that verse. Because I think there's a lot there that we will see in the story of Naaman today. So, here's the deal. Israel had been enslaved for over 400 years. And Moses had brought them out of slavery and was taking them into the promised land, right? So Moses is taking them to the land that they were promised. And it probably should have taken, let's say, 40-ish days to get from Egypt to the promised land. But as we see in scriptures, it took much longer than 40-ish days. It took about 40-ish years, right? And so Joshua hears from God as he's getting ready to lead Israel into the promised land, as he is getting ready to watch the waters of the Jordan River part so that Israel can enter into the promised land. Joshua hears this from God. He says, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God would be with you wherever you go. It was supposed to take 40 days, and it took 40 years. That's a long time to wait. Perhaps a lot longer than they expected. In fact, we see that they were kind of upset about that in the, in the meantime. So if we look in the scripture, are like, no, like this was, I mean, we'd rather go back to slavery, even though it was slavery, we'd rather go back, right? And it's this idea it's, it's because it took longer than they expected. But be strong and be courageous. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And so imagine arriving somewhere after 40 years of waiting, this encouragement that where you go, though you've never been there before, God will be with you. Much different than Hot Pockets and Pizza, right? Much different than Hot Pockets and Pizza. But sadly, so Israel goes into the promised land, and what we see in Scripture is that over time, tempers flare, divisions happen, and Israel kind of moves into this, we'll say, civil war-ish state. They split up, and the promised land, over time, just becomes more, or rather, less and less, like what they expected. And so, as time goes on, prophets start to show up. Basically, the prophets are like, hey, Israel, your bodies, you're in the right place. Your hearts, eh, not so much. They're a little bit off here. And in fact, when we take a look at the story of Naaman, we will encounter one of these prophets. His name is Elisha. And something that I wanted to kind of throw out there, because location matters, is... Earlier, before this story, a couple chapters before, Elisha, as he began his ministry, 
parted the Jordan River and walked in to Israel to begin his ministry. He parted the Jordan River, most likely in the same place that Joshua did before. So this is kind of supposed to be a signal of like, hey, here we go. Promised land, here we come. So this is kind of where we find the story camped into that place. So um, we're going to be taking a look at 2 Kings 5, verses 1 to 19. If you want to follow along on your phones, that's great. Uh, there should be Bibles in the pew racks. In Quakertown, just raise your hand and they'll hook you up. If you're watching online, chances are because you're online, you could, watch, you could read your Bible, whatever. However you read your Bible, 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 to 19. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Pause for a minute. Aram would have been a kingdom northeast-ish of Israel. And um, it would have been kind of like they would have been enemies, but this probably would have been a time of civility. You know, like, you don't really like each other, but you're just kind of existing nicely. Potentially kind of what we hope Thanksgiving... What? No? Oh, uh, sorry. Um, we should reconcile. I believe it. But just so you, maybe that's what it is. I don't know. Uh, right? So that's kind of more what this is. But this is something I need us to understand. Naaman is called a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. Another time that we see that in Scripture is when talking about King David. So why is that? Why am I telling you that? Well, Naaman isn't from Israel. So for the, is, for the scriptures to describe him that way, it must have been like something significantly obvious. In fact, Naaman actually means pleasant man. So he's a nice dude, right? He's a nice guy. But Naaman has leprosy which is the super gross disease where your skin and nose and stuff just falls off. It's just, it's just a, it's a terrible way to exist in a death sentence, physically and socially. And so Naaman's in that predicament. Nice guy, but he's dying. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. (laughs) The girl, who is a slave, and most likely whose family could have potentially been murdered or terrible things done to them, who knows, she's a slave, and she is saying to the wife of her master, man, If he would just go back or go into Samaria, he could be healed. This girl is offering healing to her master. Now, I can't help but hear these words. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go, even into slavery. Now, Do we know if the girl was thinking that particular verse? We don't know that. But what I'm saying is, I think what we are seeing is that. Is that she is able to care for her master in that way. It's crazy. 
Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. I googled about the estimates of what all that stuff was and the current uh, value of silver and gold. It was about, and I made a spreadsheet because it was about $3.7 million current time. Let's just even say it's a million. (laughs) It's a lot of money that you're getting sent to this place with, right? 3.7, whatever, that's, that's a lot that you're arriving with. Just food for thought. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes like Hulk style and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send me someone to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. I mean, the king of Israel is to the point where it's like, he's got $3 million, right? Just here you go. Cure him of his leprosy. And he's like, no, like this, that's not me. I don't do that. $3 million aside, this is like a ruse. This is like, this is too much. He's like, nah, like tearing the robes, just, right. Like, but here's the deal. Israel at that time, that, that response probably makes sense. He probably wasn't too connected to God. However, we see Elisha. So <laughs> crazy enough, then his, his next thing actually, to me, kind of makes sense. He's like, when I go into the temple with my master, which I can't not do, the dirt won't be there. Forgive me for that. I really still love the God of Israel. So we hear him basically being like, yo, when I get put back into this space, forgive me. I really do mean it. It really is the God of Israel and no one else in the world. Hmm. But this is where the words in Joshua come back to me. And I think they have a little bit new, a newer meaning. Because it says, be strong and courageous for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. See, God of Israel is different. He's not tied down to the land where other gods are. He's the God of not just Israel, but he's the God of the universe. And that's what makes him different. Maybe that's what makes Jonah fleeing to Tarshish make a little bit more sense. Because he actually in that moment thinks he can get away from Israel where God is. And we might be like, well, you can't get away from God. And it's like, yeah, but see, that's not what they thought. However, that might be what we know now. Maybe that's what it is. Either way, that God is with us wherever we go is a groundbreaking statement. And Naaman can go in peace. But you might be saying, okay, like, <laughs> good for Naaman. Um, what does that mean for me? Because that seems, you know, pretty particular. So this is the encouragement that I would offer to you. In Matthew 3, verses 13 to 17, we'll probably stop at 15, by the way, we see something happen which we're going to celebrate today, but I think there's a lot happening here. It says, Jesus came from Galilee 
to the Jordan. Same river. To be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. So we're back at the Jordan River. And we're actually, this time, back, most likely, at the place where Joshua had parted the waters so that Israel could go into the Promised Land, and the place where Elisha had parted the waters so that he could begin his ministry. And Jesus shows up again to that place and says, we have to do this to fulfill all righteousness. But instead of parting waters this time, what does he do? Something much more closely connected to the story of Naaman. The waters don't part. And Jesus, who requires no cleansing whatsoever, is baptized in the Jordan, where we're supposed to enter into the promised land. Because, see, Israel went into the promised land and it didn't stick What they needed was to be healed when they entered the promised land. See, that's the only way that it will stick. But in the end, while this location of the Jordan matters, and I believe it speaks to us as to what Jesus is doing, Naaman would have thought that the where really mattered, right? He's trying to take dirt back with him. That's not uncommon. The where does matter. But what Jesus shows us is that it does, but it's kind of different. And while Naaman might have said that the how mattered, right? He's throwing his rage. He's like, no, you were supposed to do it this way. Jesus shows us that the how matters. But it's a little bit different. Jesus is showing us that to enter into the promised land, it's not about where, but where matters. It's not about how, but how definitely matters. You can part the waters and go into Israel, and you can walk through waters, and it doesn't matter, because what does matter is the who that you walk with. And so let me encourage you, the God of the universe is the who that we need to walk with. Otherwise, the land that he has promised will just never be what it was supposed to be. We see that. And we can take courage in that. So maybe you're waiting for something more significant than Hot Pockets and pizza. Um, Pizza's good, but anyway. You are waiting for someone whose assignment has been extended and they're just not coming home when you thought they were supposed to. Maybe you're um, fighting through this life of singleness. I say fighting because it can be. Because the person you thought was coming just hasn't come yet. Or maybe they did, but it wasn't what you expected. Maybe you're waiting for a child. Oh, man. This one is close to home. Oh. Maybe you're waiting for a child, but they just haven't come yet. Or at least not how you expected and you still feel that waiting. Maybe you're waiting for your spouse to finally understand the thoughts that you have without telling them. 
Y'all are going to keep waiting. <laughs> you got to say it. <laughs> um, whatever you're waiting for, let me offer this encouragement to you. This is when the real waiting begins. And that is encouragement. Because what I think we see in the story of Israel and in the story of Naaman is it doesn't matter where you come from. Everyone's invited. But the particularity of who Jesus is and where he went back to, it does matter. Why? Because it's what makes Christmas so meaningful that the God of the universe has come to this place to do this with us. It's not like the waiting stops. It's not like the waiting stops in the Bible when Jesus arrives. The issue is not whether or not it stops. The issue is who you will walk through this waiting with. And baptism is the demonstration that you are saying, hey, I can't clean myself up with any amount of money. It has to be free. And Jesus, it has to be you. Because I've been waiting and waiting and waiting and I can't find any peace. Jesus, will you take the waiting away? He says, one day, sure. But I'll walk with you together while we wait. No matter where you come from, Christmas is a reminder that we're all welcome here. <laughs> like it or not, though, Jesus is going to ask you to pay the price of your pride. Your money's no good here in that way. You're going to have to admit that you need someone else to clean you up. And when you do, you can live in the promised land today. This ain't about when you die. It's about what we do tomorrow and the next day, knowing that we do it with the God, not just of Israel, but the God of the universe. He's been waiting. And then he came, and he's still waiting for us. And he still will be. The question is, what are we waiting for? Would you all pray with me? God, we just thank you so much for the beauty of how you arrived. And Lord, maybe if we're in the midst of waiting, it's hard to, it's hard to mean this, and so we pray that you would, you would teach us in that waiting. And God, we thank you that you have shown us and no matter who we are or where we're from, you are with us in the waiting and that the promised land is a here and now kingdom that has come and will continue to come. We thank you for that and we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.